Welcome along to World and Union Balls of the East Weekly Rugby Show with me, Mick McCarthy. Morris Brosnan is here as usual. Morris, how are you? Welcome back, Mick. Thank you. That's what I was going to start with. You you manned the fort, manfully, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> last week uh, in my absence. Spoke to Brett Wilkinson, really, really interesting podcast. I was unfortunately um, off uh, off last week and missed the... the um, reaction to the debacle that was Ireland's performance in Cardiff and you had to you had to man the fort on your own yeah I guess yeah I mean it was um it was an interesting conversation with Brett I wasn't out on protest by the way just <laughs> at, at Ireland's performance I have to be clear about that um it definitely was an interesting conversation with Brett kind of a lot of things that it spawned that both maybe comments with developing lower tier rugby and the idea of coaching not only being kind of honing senior teams but trying to develop players and what that demands of you and, and things like that so uh, if you haven't heard that actually you can hear that on last week's podcast yeah the only thing i used i knew about uh rugby in hong kong before last week's podcast was uh uh they're uh, they're one of the teams in joan alone rugby I think. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't PS2, think they yeah. are actually. I just realised that they aren't. The Chinese Taipei were the team I was thinking of. <laughs> right, so I knew nothing about rugby in Hong Kong other than the sevens, of course. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, this week's show, we'll um, another great guest for you this week that we're going to speak to in a few minutes. Um, Stephen McMahon, uh, 24-year-old Waterford man, a former Munster Academy player, now making his way in French rugby, as so many of our guests are. So another guy that I'm really looking forward to, someone who's making waves in the second tier of, of French rugby. Yeah, and a guy who did it, not necessarily out of uh, you know this demand to kind of thrive abroad, the other people, but kind of did just to survive. I mean, he, mm. Munster Academy didn't offer him a contract, uh, didn't really know where, where he was going, and has kind of taken a bold move to pursue a professional career in France in the second tier there, and is turning it up. Yeah, and looking forward to speaking to Stephen in a few minutes. Also, later in the show, we're going to talk about uh, possible bolters for the World Cup. Look, me and you both uh, spent some time speaking to Brent Pope over the course of the Six Nations, and one of his favourite subjects was bolters for the Six Nations. And to be honest, the entire time we're thinking, this is a bit fanciful. Like, this isn't going to happen this year. Yeah. The game has moved on from that. One is that, like, coaches aren't kind of unaware of players coming through anymore. And also, Ireland have this set team, or basically set kind of 40-man squad. Nobody's going to come from outside at this point. But given what happened in the Six Nations and some of the performances that you've been looking at across the provinces, maybe there is a few months here for, for people to make a bit of an impact. So we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes um, as well. But just before we uh, we get to Stephen, a couple of little things to talk about. One was a very strange uh, weekend for Irish rugby, I would say. Um, none stranger than the fact that Leinster were the only province to lose, yeah. which is kind of a little bit of a you know a, a, a turn from what we, we, we come to expect. And probably the biggest one of all it being that Connacht beating Treviso in the sports ground was undoubtedly the result of the weekend. And that just shows you how things are so uh, upside down this season. Yeah, and even to see a guy like Jack Carthy going to surpass Eric Elwood as their all-time try scorer coming yeah. off the bench. Uh, speaking of this idea of bolters, I mean, six months ago, nobody had him in contention for That's a World true. Cup squad. Yeah. Uh, when me and PJ discussed it last week. We both kind of agreed that he's probably third choice now. He's ahead of Byrne in terms of just what he can offer. He's a guy who, if you would somebody coming off a bench like he just did it last weekend, who can change a game, Carthy's probably a man that you, that you want to, to, to do that. Yeah, no other worries then for Leinster losing to Edinburgh is kind of, you know, the, there's... There's a bigger fish to fry for uh, for Leinster this weekend. Yeah, I mean, in the team of this podcast, uh, I think the story of that game is actually the improvement in Edinburgh and 
maybe what Richard Cockrell is doing there and this unbelievable improvement. We spoke about it briefly with um, Max McFarland previously. Yeah. He was obviously spending time there. And simultaneously, you look at what's going on in the Lesson Tigers in his absence, which maybe we can speak about later. But mm. again, it, I think that was a bigger storyline than teams who, you know, like coming off the back of a Six Nations, you don't have your Irish international. There's a huge amount of young players yeah. playing. And the, I don't know how much you necessarily read into maybe Munster's Underperformance or Atlanta's performance, yeah. 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 And Munster, I suppose, would be probably in a weird way more worried about Edinburgh than exactly. their own performance exactly. against Zebra, yeah. and what Leinster would be worried about having seen it. Another thing that happened over the last couple of days since we last spoke to you was an emergency meeting uh, from World Rugby yeah. to discuss safety and come up with all kinds of laws and, and suggestions and proposals for uh, for to make the game safer sport. A lot of those have been leaked. A lot of them have, have have kind of come out in the press over the last couple of days. You've been having a look at them. What what stood out for you? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the the main problem with that is that a lot of these kind of suggested rule changes, we don't necessarily know exactly what they're going to clarify them. So we do know one of them, which we I spoke about this on the podcast before, which is this fifty twenty two rule. So this is a rule: if you kick the ball from within your own half and it bounces in your opposition's twenty two and then goes out of play, you'd get the feed to the line out. Mm. So this is going back to something that. You know, it, we've spoken about a lot, which is the idea of how many players you're keeping in your backfield. I mean, if you keep cramming the line with 14 players, there's no space. If there's no space, there's more tackles. If there's more tackles, the vast majority of rugby injuries right now, but there's data to support this, has been sustained in a tackle. So the whole point of all of these rule changes is to try and make space because they want free-flowing rugby, not necessarily for the spectacle's sake, but for safety's sake, which is something we all roll behind, I think. Yeah. So another suggestion... Is the, is the offside line. They're talking about maybe redefining that. And finally, the one that came out on Sunday in the Sunday Times is um, the Jackal Law. So they want to outlaw the Jackal mm. entire, in its entirety because of this exposed situation. You, you get a guy down over a ball and he, he might be hit three or four times. The most famous example is probably somebody like Paul O'Connell who it ended his career in this scenario. So the reaction to that is to is to effectively ban it. And I think that is probably the the stand-up one. From my, from my own perspective, the line-up one has been discussed in the past. Alan Clark proposed it about a year ago. But the Jackal one, nobody, I think, has ever intended a route, which I think we would all be in agreement, is a skill in rugby. This is So it would, uh, and this is affecting a skill, which is the Jackal. Now, they're doing it from a safety perspective. I, like a lot of people, think initially was kind of, you know, slightly disappointed to hear that rule change. Not necessarily because you have any adversity to making the game safer at all but just because it's such a phenomenal thing to see when it's done correctly in a game yeah. and when everybody's safe and I still think that there might be some leeway with that like the we spoke about this again with Ben Cisneros there isn't, they're not policing the rook correctly right That's now literally what I was going to say and next so, yeah. and instead of so Neil Ronan is a guy the old Munster back row we have an uh, interview that was just republished on site actually people can see that on Buzz.ie he spoke about this previously and somebody like Laurie Fisher who had them drilled in the clear up how they were going to police a jackal and his suggestion was that the jackal needs to be policed like any other facet of a rook and it's a race so if you've a backer who gets there first and he's hit once he wins the race you can't let him stand over a ball be there you know, two three four clear outs on top of him and then eventually he collapses into the side and you know you're leaving your, your head and your hamstring open if he gets there first and he gets a two second hold you award the advantage to the jackal yeah. simultaneously if a rook is formed first and somebody tries to get the balls uh, their hands on the ball penalise them first penalise them for those kind of infractions laws that are already exist that's it. I think people, you can go back and listen. We spoke to, uh, God, a couple of months ago now, Ben Cisneros, yeah. com, and we just talked about the, the safety and policing of the Rook. Mm -hmm. And 
basically how the rook is not being policed in accordance to the law the yeah. actual laws of the game there are kind of then like bylaws so like you know the the crocodile role is technically illegal but also technically legal because they've you know there's a directive to allow it to happen all different things that but but ben made it very clear that the rook could be a safe place if it was penalized and refereed correctly yeah exactly but that would include remaining a jacket which like you know you know, I talk about this a lot. I, 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 it's, it's probably my favorite thing to see is a defensive turnover from a jackal. I yeah. think it, it's fantastic. It is obviously incredibly dangerous as well. Like you know, of course, yeah. I do still almost see that Paul O'Connell injury. Yeah, you know, like and and you've pointed out lots more that you know could have happened, and you've shown me pictures and stills and basically the shape that sometimes the hamstrings in particular are in are just not healthy or right, but. I don't know. It does seem like it would be a fundamental change to the game. Yeah, absolutely, it would. And I'm, I'm, I'm not kind of adverse to it. And if there's data to support the fact that this is just too dangerous that they need to outlaw, it. but I just think that given the current situation, this is. I, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to that Benson Norris interview if you haven't heard it already, because one thing he said as well is that World Rugby has a repeated reactionary approach to this kind of stuff. They see injuries in it and they react to the tackle. They see injuries and they react to the thing. And whereas they have a really brilliant opportunity to be proactive with the rock, because so. I think 70% of injuries are sustained in a tackle. So the Rook, in terms of safety-wise, data-wise, isn't all that problematic. But it mm. could be. That's the point, that it could be. And that if you, you know, it's not, we're, not, we're not advocating for new rules when we say this. All we're doing is talking about maybe policing what currently exists. Yeah, definitely. And maybe that takes away from the, the need to have new rules. But I don't know. I, I, I guess there will be arguments on both sides. And of course, I, I yeah. definitely would like to see them. And I think it'll be a while before this kind of plays out. And I hope they don't rush into anything because you do want the game to be safer, but you also want the game to survive and yeah. thrive. And rushing into a, a kind of a panicky rule change doesn't help there. And that kind of brings me to the first one you suggest. I think is the most interesting to people. So there's like, you know, the old kick to the corner the Raj, as you'd call it, yeah. or whatever. But it's been, you know, it's something that like Irish rugby will have. You know, there's a, there's, the, I can still hear the old Lansdowne Road cheer for a kick into, you know, the the into like the corner the of the back, East yeah. Terrace, you know, uh, back in the day. And it was just like it is one of those brilliant kind of very old school throwbacks mm-hmm. in a game of rugby. Back before the line out dominated. Back before you were basically kicking away possession. It was one of the most important facets of the game. However, there's been a long time since then, and it just does feel weird. It feels like a massive advantage. So I understand what you're saying in terms of safety that, you know, you might have to have a back tree kind of more in place. Yeah. And that that uh, that is a, a big thing. But there's also kind of, you know, there's in terms of winning maybe like, you know, um, scrappy ball or a turnover or a counterattack. It suddenly gives a massive, massive advantage to the to the turnover team that they could go and possibly get a you know, a line out in their own 22 from that without actually having to kind of break or to, to kick with any kind of real skill. Like what, what the way to do that now is to probably, you know, pull the ball up inside the line exactly, and make yeah. the full back be, be pushed out over it. You know, that you see maybe once or twice a game and yeah. it's a really, really big moment. Does it change it too much and make it too much of a kicking game if that's what you're kind of aiming for? I'm, see that's the the thing about all these routines we're going to have to see them trial like I, I wonder about the theory behind a lot of them And so these will be rolled out in junior world championships and uh, relatively second tier competitions over the next couple of weeks uh, we, you would imagine so another one is to reduce the number of replacements from 8 to 5 so the theory behind that again is that you get people fatigued mm. and as opposed to somebody coming off the bench I, again I mean that's another one I kind of I would wonder about I wonder 
what is the data to support that? We don't know. That's one of the main problems with this. We don't yeah. know what the, that is. Simultaneously, just on that team, by the way, I mean, I think what you need to think about with all of these rules is the unintended consequences, not what you would like to see happen, which is open space and free-flowing rugby and you know chances out wide. So if you're forcing teams to keep players in the backfield or, for example, if you get rid of the jackal, I personally would feel that if I was playing in a team, we would no longer compete in a ruck because since they changed the ruck laws after the Italy scan- the fiasco with the England game, you might only have to have one player in there. And if you don't, if there's no chance of you ever committing anybody as a defence coach, you'd be saying, don't go into that line. And then you still get as many bodies in a defensive yes, line because there's no ruck. I was going to say the defensive no line remains yeah. the same. Yeah. So I just would wonder about the unintended consequences. You have to, this is a conversation we have with Gaelic football the whole time. It's, yeah. n- it's not what you want to see happen. It's how will teams react to that? So... Like suddenly do you start to see out halves totally change their game and constantly kicking the ball and does that make the game yeah. is far from being this free-flowing open rugby does it become slightly boring that way you, yeah. it's just, you just need to put all of these things and that's why the trial periods are going to be so important yeah. over the next couple of months some of them baffle me though as well like there was one you didn't mention there which was supposed to be put a shot clock on the scrum I saw that yeah, yeah to like, speed up the climb yeah. that is crazy yeah. because there's, there's a couple of factors here one there was a point about five years ago where a scrum would scrums and their collapsing and resetting would take up about a quarter of a game of rugby and there was not there wasn't basically a game not being played because of it that's basically been completely the the current scrum laws are probably the best they've been in 20 30 years yeah absolutely N- nearly all scrums go maybe one or two are reset in the game they they set quickly it's not quite like in the old days if you watch rugby gold and tg Carter where they all just go in and 16 <laughs> men somehow just get into this perfect <laughs> union without any <laughs> it just happens like automatically they all kind of go as one um it's not quite that but it doesn't take forever mm-hmm. generally the scrum has become a less uh problematic part of the game but also has remained has kept its uh, importance yeah. and has kept its like skill set and a dominant scrum is still a really important thing in most games you know mm-hmm. if there's a lot of scrums I don't really want to see that lost and I don't think that I think that t- putting a shot clock on it is dangerous in so so many ways and I don't because it's not a problem at the moment I don't really see what the benefit is for it and see that's one of the real changes where I wondered how much was it influenced by the idea of a spectacle like the, yeah. people get frustrated by oh it's a, a long stoppage and stuff like that and I mean Again, we go back to this. We're not, neither, neither of us are adverse to rule change in, in, you know, yeah. in principle. It's the idea of that making the game safer is great. Yeah. And so you wonder about... And again, that's why... Like, but this seems to do the opposite, doesn't it? In a way, yeah. yeah. So and they're, so they're talking about maybe even why don't they just make an alternative and stop the clock if that's what's frustrating people for so long. And then would that drain down time as well? I mean, this is all... It's all really, really initial stuff. We don't necessarily yeah. have any kind of that's true. It, but uh, just in terms of initial thoughts on these kind of things, I think it's important to maybe weigh up the pros and cons of all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, really. and I suppose let the trials be actual trials and not think of them as being kind of forced down our throat yeah. as, as we often do, like with, with with these things. But then also, I think there does need to be a kind of a there does need to be a, a kind of a systematic response from maybe it's players unions or whatever it is about mm-hmm. things that might not be working, you know, and to actually come out and say, no, no, yeah. this is not like, you know, there are other ways of making, this is actually not going to make the game safer. And here's why, yeah. you know? So anyway, that's something that's going to go on and on. And we'll talk, we've got a few quiet weeks coming up after, uh, you know, between May and the, uh, the World Cup warmups that we can get into all these subjects. Um, as I said, we're going to talk about World Cup bolters in a few minutes and we will also get to, um, a little bit of a preview of the Highland Cup quarterfinals, which have just snuck around, snuck up on us and are happening this weekend. Um, but we do want to talk to um, Stephen McMahon, who's on the line um, 
from France at the moment, delighted to say. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? Cheers, thanks very much. Yeah, I'm not too bad. How are you? Not too bad now, not too bad. Um, things have been going uh, pretty well for you in uh, in, in uh, Carcassonne this year. Um, yeah, it's going well this year. We, we're in with a shout of making playoffs if we um, finish off the run of five games well, but we're kind of um, depending on other results as well, you know. Good stuff, good stuff. And just wanted to talk to you, uh, Stephen, about your kind of story in general and how you ended up there. I know that I know this is um, this is uh, you're, you're, you've been there for a couple of years now. Um, originally, you were in the Munster Academy for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, how is it that you ended up um, playing in the second tier French rugby? Um, so yeah, this is my second year here. So I'm nearly I'm nearly here two full years and. Um, trying to think of the years what year do we have now 2019 so it would have been 2007 when yeah. I left yeah 2007 when I um, was finishing up at Munster and you know uh, I was in second year academy after doing two years in the sub academy two years in the academy and was basically told look there's probably not there's not a progression plan for me for the seniors um, there and it was kind of said like you know if, if I can go away and find somewhere else that I can play that would be great you know and that's basically what I did. But it actually ended up at a, at a time in the season that was very, very late on. Um, I reckon it was off the top of my head a couple of weeks later than than it is now. So probably mid-April to late April. I remember I was I was I was preparing for exams at university at the time. So it was very, very late to be going searching for um, to be going searching for something. Um, and the way the things kind of go in Ireland is like nobody really has agents until you're kind of. I probably would have searched for an agent that summer, you know, going into your last year of the academy or whatever. So I actually didn't even have an agent at the time. So literally had never really looked anywhere at all. Then it was just, um, you know, a frantic, a frantic uh, couple of weeks calling around literally everybody I know, them calling everybody they know and so on and so forth. And eventually got hooked up with an agent here and between himself and a little help from Bernard Jackman, um, just got a chance to come here to Carcassonne and basically literally packed my bags and left about two weeks later after that. That's great to hear. And, and um, it is something that we, we've talked about a lot on, on the show is kind of people kind of finding that sort of, that, you know, that, that sort of second life outside of Ireland. And there is, there is a rugby career to be had outside of the kind of traditional route. But that traditional route was yeah. obviously something that you kind of had your eye on. And for you to say that it happened very late in the year and left you with little time obviously that probably meant that you thought that it was it, like that there was probably going to be another year or or progression at Munster it must have come as a bit of a surprise did it yeah yeah um it definitely came as a bit of a surprise as because it was it was just so late on in the year now you know that um and the, the weeks following up you know other people are being let go and coming and going and whatever but just i i think i was like maybe the last one or two to be to be told or whatever so yeah it was really late and there was definitely an assumption on my part um that i'd be um that i'd definitely be going into my third year because i i i, I was full on with the seniors and um, that whole last season like full senior schedule trained with them every single day and stuff like that when you go into the academy you're you kind of you have your own academy schedule but when you kind of progress on to more senior academy you kind of integrate into their more their schedule you know so it was. I, I just assumed that I'd be going on, but you know, in hindsight, looking back, you know, I didn't have a very good academy experiences. You know, I didn't play a lot. Um, 
I was really just a trainer, you know, a, a professional rugby trainer, really, than player. Stephen, on that team, the idea of maybe integrating, that obviously was the rugby culture that you were used to, and whether that be, you know, Rockwell or with Munster, that was something you're used to. And then we spoke to Paddy Butler about this recently, the idea of, you know, trying to, it's like, in a lot of ways, it's a different game when you go to France. How did you find that transition? Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it is like, at times, it, it can be really talking to um like <laughs> at times you're there scratching your head on the training ground at, at, at certain methods or philosophies or ways of thinking you know that are just so different to at home um some some like some parts of it is better and some parts of it worse and some parts of it helps players like for me for example like the relaxed vibe about the place really gave me a chance to get my confidence back okay. um because you know as i just alluded to there i wasn't playing really at all you know i was playing for gary Young, but i wasn't really cracking on with monster at all so I, I was um a bit low on the confidence you know when you went out to the pitch you, you you you'd be thinking twice about trying something you know risky or you know you just setting the game plan or whatever but you know they they very much like you to crack on here and you know that was always promoted here and you know the false the the um, the mistakes aren't picked up as much um, over here and things like that, which <laughs> drives me bananas in training, but then <laughs> works for your advantage sometimes, you know? Yeah. And, and obviously you didn't have, um, you're doing all this through a different language as well. Was that much of a challenge? <laughs> yeah, well, as, as I said, like when this got sorted, there was, I think, two weeks maximum in between me leaving Ireland or me getting disordered and leaving Ireland and, okay. and arriving here. And when I arrived here, there was about three days before training. I literally did not have a word of French. Like <laughs> I, 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 I remember my first. I, I did a, I did about two French lessons before I came, and like literally the first lesson was like you know learning the alphabet, learning how to count to five, saying bonjour, like and things like that. <laughs> so, um, like literally didn't have a lick of French. But luckily enough, I fell into a really good um, group straight away that helped me. There was a Australian, a, a South African who's actually been living in France for a long time, so he's fluent French. Another Irish guy joined us uh, later on in the season as well, or later on in the preseason. So those guys really, really helped a lot um, to, for the integration. You know, they'll just like in every single team here. There's there's heaps of foreigners, you know, and the vast majority of them are English speakers. Mm. Um, so like, it's not really, really difficult to get by training, um, in and and also training like it it it, it moves a lot slower than. Um, than it does at home so you're able to see something react to it a little bit better and stuff like that so I couldn't imagine it being the other way around <laughs> not knowing English and going to Munster for example no. <laughs> I don't think I don't I don't think that would work um, as quite as well just because so much is demanded on you and so quickly you know yeah a bit different not, not as many kind of non-English speakers there we'll talk a little bit uh, Stephen uh, we'll talk in detail actually about how well things have gone for you um, in, in France but just I want to briefly kind of just go back to the Munster experience something I've been talking about a lot this year with some, some club people as well in Ireland um, about the kind of academy structure and it's just something you said there you weren't playing much games and I don't know how much you did play with Gary Owen but do you feel that academy players are probably a little bit too protected from actually going out and playing the game a little bit more in Ireland um, are you talking about as in um, they might be called to be rested but uh, not play with their clubs and, yeah and like I, that, I, I think so them. yeah that ultimately you're kind of as you said a professional trainer that there's, there's times there where it's like yeah. the, the club the Munster don't want you kind of going off outside of their remit but at the same time they don't really have a spot for you and there isn't that chance to develop yeah. that you're having now in, in, in professional rugby in France, you know? 
Yeah. Um, uh, for me, like the position I found myself in, right? So as, as I said, like the nor- I suppose the normal progression in, in the academy structure in Ireland would be do like one year in sub academy and then progress on. But I actually did two years in the sub academy. So really, when I went into my second year sub academy, I was kind of getting the feeling that things uh, were moving a bit slowly for me, and um, you know, I was always kind of thinking maybe this isn't going to work out, kind of thing. But I think what you're kind of um, talking about really only applies to the top end guys that like Munster have picked or Munster Leinster kind of does that have picked from the very get go. That these are definitely guys that were going to be integrated right. into the senior team quickly, and they need to be. Um, their their load needs to be managed maybe a little bit better. Like I don't think I missed much um, um, games for Gary Owen that like unless we were playing other games, you know, on the same day. Um, but like I remember, like I, de- I we don't train on um, Tuesday nights. Um, like nobody really trains on the Tuesday night. If you're with the seniors, you don't train on the Tuesday night with your club. So obviously the clubs find that very difficult to deal with because you might have a run of five or six, like I know with Gary Owen as well, We the vast majority of us were all in the back line. So you you have these guys um, training every single week and playing most of the week, and then on the match day, literally five or six of us rock up to play, you know? Mm. Yeah, which obviously isn't an ideal situation for anyone, including yourself, I suppose, when you're kind of playing at a at a team that you're not training with uh, all week. But Yeah, it's... It, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not good on either side of the ball. But I'd, I'd imagine it's like must be very very frustrating, and I know it is very frustrating for the club side. Stephen, when you took the decision initially to go to France, was the that you pursuing your own avenue, or in your own head, was that maybe working on an opportunity to come back to Munster and down the line? Well, like I've I've always said from when I came over, obviously like the ideal scenario would be to come back to Ireland, come mm-hmm. back to Munster. You know that my home that's like literally until two years ago it's all I ever knew so that would definitely like that's a massive goal for me it's when you get out here though you realise how muddy the water is and how difficult even when you're playing well like like I had an alright season last year got a lot of interest and I'm having a pretty good season this year but still the the, um, the process to get into the top 14 and get back to Ireland or whatever is really difficult for a non-GIF player like I am and a non-international say because I don't know if you guys are are, are aware of the GIF rule but it's mm. basically anybody who's um, formed in the academies in France yeah, and um, there's a, they have to have a certain amount of GIF players on each match day squad so that really um, hinders them like the clubs can only play I think at this year I think it's six six or seven non-GIFs in a matchday squad in our in our league and it changes next year. Each year it's going up and up and up so it's getting harder and harder um, to, to, to get contracts So and then to go to the top 14, you know, those guys are really looking at internationals. You know, like a lot of their foreigners would be marquee signings, you know, big guys that the club can market themselves on and things like that. So it's actually, it's actually very, very difficult even when you're playing well. Yeah, so we spoke to Paddy Butler about that as well. Maybe the idea of Jeff inflicting like he was talking about it from his own perspective and looking to try and get a contract for next year do you find that as a, as a as a frustration that maybe the pathway that you would have perceived even two years ago is slowly being eroded yeah like it's I think it's something um, that young guys in Ireland need to think about more like if I knew about it when you know when I was told that I was going to be going back into the sub-academy if I was told that there was this other kind of avenue to go down and like I probably would have jumped at it because like the guy us Ireland do a really really good job at um, training us guys and like when you come over here you'll realise how much better off 
um, skill-wise, strength and conditioning-wise, fitness-wise, game um, knowledge-wise you are than your French counterparts just because there's not as much of emphasis put on in the like the age grade stuff and the academy process and stuff like that. So, and like then you then you, your gold dust if you get that gist status over here in France, you're absolutely flying it. Like you'll you'll have a contract if you're playing well, you'll have a contract to go to for as long as you want to play. Really, it's an interesting concept and something that's come up with nearly everyone that we've spoken to over there. It's like it's almost this hidden gem that there is a that there is another world from just trying to make true to these four elite teams that we have that have so few spots to get yeah. through and people hanging on for life and there there is another world there it's almost like the IRFU in their you know, yeah not not protectionism but like understandably they want to keep the best players in Ireland but people don't realize that there yeah. is that that other option there yeah well like it's it's not even like the guys <laughs> It's not even the guys that are, you know, going to the academy, like like myself and like Michael Fowd out after two or three years. But even like there's there's heaps of guys that don't even make it that far. Yeah, you know that would be that like uh, basically anybody coming out of um, the top two schools in Munster, Leinster, Connacht, and Ulster or whatever um, would definitely be well up there with their French counterparts if they somehow could get over here. If that was something they wanted to pursue, um, like. It's definitely something worth looking into for those guys because, as I said, I, I would definitely uh, have looked into it more if I had known about it, but you don't know about it, you know. And I and I suppose that probably comes back to what I said earlier is that nobody has con- um, agents in Ireland, you know, whereas every every young guy here in France and every young guy in, like, England and things like that, they have an agent. So those guys are always looking out for, you know, another option for you or whatever. Yeah. Is there any kind of comfort so, in the fact um see, when now that you kind of, I know you're established there now you've recently signed the new contract um your girlfriend is over there with you as well like the the improvement in your your life kind of this work life balance that we talk about a lot like even if you're maybe slightly outside that Irish bubble that finally rugby is starting to maybe repay you or that might be the wrong word but certainly try to kind of reward you um yeah like definitely like th- th- that's another thing about France is like obviously you have these massive massive um contracts um in the top 14 like the, the the top end guys like you know the outhouse or whatever that are at racing or toulon or whatever but just like there is a lot more money just for the average guy here as well like even like i think the money as what i've seen anyway from around the guys and you know i'm in the second tier here like it's definitely much much better than the second tier in england say it's it's definitely like a squad player here is probably less than, like I don't really know about Munster and Leinster and the likes of that in and out of it but I'd imagine it's not much less than those places just for your average squad player and then if you're if you're a good gist player you can really command a lot more like because teams are actively like top 14 teams will try and find you know the cheapest gist players they can to save their money um, uh, to, to get the you know the New Zealanders or the South Africans or whatever but like those guys are all commanding massive money compared to what it is at home and these are like average players you know squad players yeah it's a, it's no, a... I, I saw I saw I saw, I saw, it la- I saw it last year I saw it last year I was absolutely shocked because I, even last year I didn't really know much about it some, some of the worst players were we play against in this league signed for like rafting and stock on stage and things like that just because <laughs> of um, this, this just thing you know yeah God, it's a fascinating and I think, system I, I think it, it's, it's doing it's it's it's, uh, it's doing it's not working out well for the French national team, obviously, but like sure. as a career for for younger guys, like as a career path and stuff like that, it's definitely worth looking into. 
For sure. Um, two years, as you said, are you coming up to the end of the second season now um, at Cork is on. Yeah. I, like, you know, coming in last year, as you said, from, from that kind of that low of, of, you know, having to find something pretty quickly and, and getting over to kind of, you know, getting into the team, um, playing the majority of games uh, last year, same again this year, playing well. Like, do you feel like that your rugby career and, 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 and performance level, everything like that has flourished in a way that you probably like, you know, in in a weird way, the setback has led to almost an acceleration that you're kind of almost ahead of of, of where you 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 would have been if it, things had stayed the same, Munster. Um, <clears throat> I think, like, to answer your question shortly, for sure, if things had stayed the way in uh, the way they were in Munster, if I stayed there on down the same slow path or whatever. But in saying that, like, I feel like. Um, you know, you hear these guys that like fall through the the, the loop in, in Ireland and, you know, they don't get picked up and later on, you know, they come through the clubs and they're very good players or whatever. Like when I was growing up through the youth system first and then I switched to Rockwell and went through the schools, like uh, like I was, everybody was, you know, slingshotting me to, you know, go straight into this academy, straight into professionalism or whatever. And then I just hit a massive, massive wall and I had two really hard years of very little um, development, like massively not my confidence, and I just wasn't playing the same type of rugby. Mm. But I knew I always still had that in me somewhere. I just couldn't get it out. It came out. It came out at times, like on the pitch, you know. But I just knew that I couldn't um, couldn't get it out there. But I knew I had it deep down. And um, when I came here, obviously there's a low, it, there's a lower standard of play here, so it's a little bit easier, obviously. But it's um, like it just gave me a lot of confidence to go out after one or two games like I was very much in the same monster setup where our mind frame when I played my first couple of games here and I was looking for just the perfect option every time you know play it safe things like that but when you really just you know, when we we changed our coaches because um, we were doing very badly last year um, we changed our coaches around October November and um, the guy that came in you know he's not a very uh, technical tactical kind of guy but he, he um, he's a good guy for kind of team confidence and the ambiance and things like that around the the team and he just he put me at full back where my preferred position was and he just told me just have a go get the ball have a go run if, you know if you're against one or two or three players have a cut if you're against four maybe think about kicking it then you know that kind of mm. a thing um, so then you know after a couple of games they, you know I just got my confidence back things started coming a little bit easier and it helps the team in a way and then you just you just gain more confidence from that you know Absolutely, yeah, and it's great to hear. It's that. a complete knock-on effect, you know. Yeah, sure. It's a, it's great to hear that the, the confidence is back, and I suppose that's been clear in the performances. Stephen, we're going to be looking out for uh, Carcassonne over the rest of the year, and 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 uh, keeping an eye on that playoff run. And um, uh, hopefully, we might talk to you in in a, in a couple of months with so with with some good news about a possible uh, promotion. Yeah, well, that, that would be great. Anyway, I'd look forward to it. <laughs> we'll have so, to take it game by game, though, at the time, at that, right now, though, I'd say. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, best of luck with the rest of the season. I said we will be looking out for you, and uh, best of luck with uh, with however it goes um, after that. And thanks so much for, for taking the time to take the call. No, my pleasure. Cheers, guys. Uh, Steve McMahon there. Um, I keep saying Steve McMahon, thinking of the former Liverpool captain. The footballer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not Steve McMahon. Stephen McMahon. Um, very interesting. Uh, I'm incredibly, I have to say, as much as there might be problems with the Irish Academy system, listening to someone like Stephen makes me think that like the future is bright and that our standards seem to be a lot higher yeah, than yeah, they are. Yeah, you'd be grateful for it, yeah. yeah. Also, just the idea that we're so far ahead in terms of our uh, ownership of our own players, you know, like just strictly, I mean, in regards to 
like the, the you see that how they're messing around with the GIF right now and trying to implement that. Like Ireland, they're so far more advanced and just really kind of generous stuff in terms of your ownership of your players. Yeah. That's why we spoke about this last week in the podcast myself and PJ. Again, that's why I think the idea of welcoming back in someone like Simon Zebo would be a mistake because you lose that control straight away of of, of top tier players. But I, <laughs> that's a, a debate for another day. <laughs> Yes, yes it is. Uh, we're going to look ahead to uh, some of the uh, Highland Cup quarterfinals in a few minutes. Um, I actually can't believe that the quarterfinals are Snuck this weekend. Up, yeah. That It happens after every Six Nations, but it's such a such a quick return to the biggest club games of the season for these teams, um, having kind of a lot of their players been away for a long time. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But you wanted to talk about an interesting subject in uh, World Cup bolters, right? So there's a couple of performances this weekend that stood out to you from in the Irish provinces. World Cup bolters is not something I expected to be yeah. a topic of conversation after the uh, going into the start of the season. But given what's happened in the Six Nations, given that Ireland probably just need that little bit of kind of fresh blood, even if it's just for training squads or whatever it might be, there's something needs to be kind of something needs to to give that team a spark again exactly maybe it is a player kind of coming from nowhere and suddenly becoming part of Joe Smith's and plans this actually so to be honest we picked a 31 man panel last week for the World Cup and the idea of bolters didn't really come onto our consciousness either in terms of picking that team it was more so about competition between you know who's going to be the third choice scrum half for that kind of thing yeah. and then this the idea of this actually sprang from the kind of a really kind of constructive debate within the comment section of that article. So people were suggesting. So one that I think is actually there's a lot of merit to this suggestion is, will he actually bring three out halves? And an alternative to that, if he brings three out halves and three centers, could you bring a fourth center, somebody like Rory Scannell, who can also cover a ten and who's, mm-hmm. who demonstrated his kicking game last weekend, who demonstrated his kicking game as well, and suddenly that gives you. This is the we keep going back to this about a World Cup squad. It's about versatility. Who who can cover it? This is the thing that Will Allison seems to have in his favor hugely. Something like Ty Byrne has in his favor hugely is their ability to be a impact player off the bench when you've got a really really tight thirty one man panel going away in the summer. And I think the that idea about what Rory Scannell brings actually might have merit when he demonstrated his kicking game that he had at the weekend, especially. That's something that I think really would add to. It's another. Like the, you're not you're looking for a player to replicate what's already there. Yeah. You're looking from a, a different angle, somebody that maybe might invigorate. Just going back to Six Nations, one of the problems was that we didn't have a second receiver or who could stand in as, instead of Sexton at that kind of first receiver position mm. and orchestrate stuff from there. That's what a guy like Roy Scanlon gives you, and that's maybe why he kind of comes into that debate, I think, in terms of what he could offer in, in, in that regard, I suppose. Yeah, does... And I don't. Like, the last thing I want to be is the we already have those players. Yeah, yeah. Person in this conversation because I I kind of agree with the idea and I don't want to be that given what's happened and we do have to kind of continue to evolve and you can't be living off past reputations and so on and so forth. But you know, if you look at the center in particular, if you look at Bundiaki, Gary Ringrose, Robbie Henshaw, and probably Chris Farrell as the number four there. Yeah, it's going to be hard to infiltrate that, but none of them offer what you're talking about and in that regard that, like the uh, personally I think Chris Farrell would be the man to lose out there or if you know yeah. if he, if he'll bring three I would assume and if he does I don't think Farrell makes his way in I also think that something like so what Farrell is in competition for now is for a starting spot he's not necessarily in competition for a squad spot whereas if you the competition for a squad spot Scannell could probably go ahead of him because of his versatility he's a totally different player to somebody who's Farrell is a really explosive carrier Scandal isn't that, nor does he pretend to be that, but he's a playmaker, he's a guy who can instigate things, who can kick the, kick the ball on. 
on this team, by the way, another guy, I, I know we're all talking about Munster players, but just to go back to the Munster performance at the weekend, Jack O'Donoghue is another guy who I would just be curious to see how he develops over the next couple of months. Uh, there's definitely a starting spot there for him if he can kind of rival somebody like Clute. Mm. He, if you look at what's going on in Leinster right now, I just was looking at this earlier. So Sean O'Brien is totally out of form. Dan Levy's injury plagued. We've just been confirmed that Josh Underflyer is out for the rest of the season. So that means who's your who's your starting prospect there? Scott Penny, who's a 19 year old. Suddenly, does he come into a World Cup conversation? But if there is this open side position up for grabs, a guy like Jack O'Donoghue, who, who Joe Schmidt has name checked repeatedly over the last 12 months, who has struggled with injuries but looked back to his best when he came on last weekend I think he's probably ahead of both that in terms of being that uh, 20th man squad player who comes off the bench yeah. so so he starts if he could get a, r- a run of form that's what all these players need a run of form th- the idea that maybe they'll throw a, a different thing into that mix that uh, from we have an array of riches at the back row but suddenly you're looking at it, the open side and you think there might actually be a an opportunity here for these guys, for the guys like Jack O'Donoghue, who maybe something like Sean O'Brien and Connacht, I don't not to the same extent, I don't think. But these kind of players who um who suddenly from within six months ago wouldn't have dreamed about making a World Cup squad realistically. Yeah. Now does it not I'm not gonna say a pathway, but there's a possible possibility that they would actually kick on to do that. Yeah. Do you think that there's a do you think that there's an openness to sort of bringing somebody in? Like Yeah, that's may, a, maybe an question. maybe two or three months ago the system was probably too established yeah. and too close. Whereas you're probably looking now is that the summer is probably going to be spent not creating a completely new system, but expanding things in a way. You know, I think we will have a new style, at least for the World Cup. I think it needs it. I think that the the one that's had has come and gone. Yeah. So now might be the time to bring in new faces to there because they're not coming into something that's been established over the course of basically four years as it was. Yeah, I absolutely did. Yeah. Like it refreshes the panel. It breeds competition. All really positive things in a team environment. I absolutely think that they sh- should look without the outside of the current establishment. And that's why you, na- you reference people like... Jack O'Donoghue or especially somebody like Rory Scannell or Jack Carthy who I as we said earlier in this podcast who probably comes in as your third choice now because they bring something different that's the whole point you know they're not it's not a like like for like for like <laughs> it's not a like yeah. for like replacement but it doesn't need to be no it offers something new and look sure if we're kicking the touch for lineouts for lineouts yeah you know. who better <laughs> <laughs> for winning lineouts on the, the top 14 uh, sorry in your own twin I don't know what I'm after saying there what I said there made no sense at all for kicking for touch to get your own throw in the line out as the rugby trials that we mentioned earlier are coming in. Just thought I'd clarify that because I was speaking absolutely nonsense. I, and I'm pretty sure, um, I would need to check this, I'm pretty sure if you watch back a couple of those kicks that Scanlon had against Zebra, they would have qualified, qualified for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the Munster tradition, I suppose, <laughs> Morris. Before we go, Heineken Cup quarterfinals, we've got uh, Munster versus Edinburgh, uh, or Edinburgh versus Munster, I should say, mm-hmm. Murrayfield at the ungodly hour of like six o'clock in the morning or something <laughs> like that on Saturday, isn't it? The 12 45, yeah. Which, which isn't is the greatest uh, time no. for uh, atmosphere or even us wanting to bloody watch the match. But yeah. uh, that probably being the most interesting tie in a way, and I'd say I- that in full acknowledgement that there's an all-Irish quarterfinal. No, I would at 100% agree with you. What, yeah. What's going on in Edinburgh is phenomenal. I mean, the. Richard Cockrell has entirely turned them around. In his absence, I mean, Leicester Tigers, we hinted this earlier, It's it's been a disaster. They lost again to Northampton, got hammered by their rivals at the weekend. You've people coming out after the game, like their own players, and saying this is the darkest period they can remember in the club. Coaches coming out and saying they're embarrassed and you know devastated by results. There's a real kind of cloud lingering over them. There's a genuine chance Leicester Tigers are in a relegation battle now. They still have yeah. to play Newcastle. They're tense. They're 
I think there it might be nine points, but one of those teams are ahead of they have to play, so that's a potential five point swing. That's right Leicester, there. Yeah. coached by uh, Ireland's Jordan Murphy. Yeah, who was who cut a, a really disappointing figure after the game. Um, I, there's probably more structural problems there than yeah. necessarily a coach. I mean, you have to take consider take it into consideration that he took the job when I know Richard Cocker has done very good things since he's left but they were in a bad place that, at that stage too yeah. and he just hasn't been able to turn it around there's a I know we're off on a tangent here about Murphy but there's a part of me that's always sad about that when like a club legend takes a job P- possibly because they're a club legend as yeah. in like you know they're the only one that has the you know they're the, you're in a bad situation somebody has to come in and try to do a job and you do it almost out of loyalty and it's almost going to be his legacy so he's been like at Leicester knocking around there for 20 years and if they did get relegated this year, that's what Jordan Murphy's first line in his, um, in his legacy, in his Wikipedia page is going to be. You and know, you'd wonder to what extent... Relegated. Absolutely, yeah. And you wonder to what extent does that influence his his coaching ability or his decision-making. Like there was Ellis Storage, the prop, spoke after the game. He said, you know, when Murphy came in after the game, he was speechless. I mean, he's been here for so many great days and there was nothing he could say to them. He just couldn't comprehend them. These are more or less what he what he said you know that this is what he was associated with and this is what he was watching and the fact that that is um now kind of breeds like all that stuff it breeds kind of negativity you feel kind of negative you're trying to stop a rot effectively which is yeah. a really kind of hard position to be in uh but back to edinburgh and munster yeah. Munster, like the, the funny thing about no matter how good an edinburgh are or like one of the scottish teams or welsh teams is that and it's a real positive for the irish teams is that they will always believe they can beat them the fact that it's away means i think there'll be no complacency there yeah. though and it's kind of that makes it a perfect spot i think for munster to go into and they might not win and you can say they're favorites even at this stage i don't know what the bookies are saying but you know i i would argue they're not favorites but yeah. that you know it's definitely there's definitely a huge possibility for them to go and get the result there. So it's, it's a really even matchup. It's going to be oh, an it'd interesting be a f- fantastic game. I think it's, um, I would slightly disagree. I think it's make or break for most of the season. I, they, I, they have to kick on in Europe. I think it's, it's really, oh, I, really I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that they, they, they don't have to win. Okay, I'm yeah, saying yeah. that they, I'm saying that I'm not sure they will. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and Which I agree, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think that, the, I think there's a few things working in their favour. I think that mm-hmm. the fact that the, it's, it's a Scottish team they'll believe they can win it. Yeah. I think the fact that it's away means they won't take it for granted. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that's working in their favour. I don't, I, I'm not, I think Joy they, Carey back in training I think as well, it's yeah. incredibly important that they do win. Yeah. But I'm just not sure they will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope they do. I hope they do. Leinster and Ulster. Ulster are a different team than played, than lost by 40 points to, to Leinster at yeah. Christmas. They're also like, that's, you know, you can throw out the Interpros. They don't have the same squad depth as, as the rest of the teams. Um, But since they kind of got that you know that that massive win in Welsh Road, I think, wasn't it, mm-hmm, to, to mm-hmm. kind of qualify for uh, the the knockout stages? They've been just hitting it, really, haven't yeah, they? For a couple of months now, and then they just look like they're a team that just have found themselves a little bit like. And I think, I mean, we spoke to Brett Wilkinson about this last week, and he, you know, name dropped Dan McFarland as this exceptional coach. He's and really trusting his big game ability, and then. Just on that team, I mean, you look at what Ulster have done so this, so far this season. It's been a success already. In direct contrast to someone like Munster, I think this is a free hit for them. I don't think there's yeah. Leinster coming off a couple of ropey results. Yeah. Like you referenced the Edinburgh game before the break, they weren't great either. They're particularly against the Italian sides, um, they'll obviously welcome back in a huge Irish contingent. That'll make a massive difference. But for from Ulster's perspective, a huge Irish contingent coming back off like a, a really poor yeah. Six Nations. A lot of players looking for form as well. Yeah, I remember. I'm going to struggle on the year. I think it was 2008. 
Um, no, 2008 was the year that Munster won the Highland Cup. I'm not sure it was. Ireland had a really, really poor Six Nations, and Munster were playing the Scarlets in the quarterfinals um, a couple of weeks after in the same way. Munster had an awful lot of Irish players yeah. on it. It was a really, really poor Six Nations, and we went. they went to Parky Scarlets, big favourites even though they were the away team, and never turned up, just never got going. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those games that you're 60 minutes in, you're like, hold on, there's only 20 minutes left here. I don't think they're going to come back you yeah. know and that'd be nearly the fear for Leinster you know it's not as if like Ulster like the fact that it is another Irish team me and Ulster have the same problems but I think that at least they're coming back to a better to, to a, a team on the up whereas Leinster are just expected to be dominant and, and, and brilliant and Leinster are in the same position Ireland were in which is I mean everybody wants to knock you off your perch that's, mm. the, that's the way it is and you've got guys like I'm sure Marty Moore or you know these uh, Jordy Murphy, yeah, or even somebody like Erko Sullivan, like these Ulster yeah. dubs. Who I, I I bet it's in <laughs> it's it's in their thinking that you know they'd love to prove a point here, and I think that could be a a nice sort of thinking. I hope it lives up to that. I hope they provide kind of stiff competition that that yeah. kind of bears to fruition. But even I just as a slight caveat, even if it doesn't, I still think that's not a reason to you know. Also, season has been remarkably successful regardless of this weekend. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't dismiss how far they come. Mm-hmm. Connacht in the Challenge Cup, uh, briefly. You're already looking at a semi final against Bristol, but um, Connacht. Oh, be lovely, yeah. Connacht, look, um, you know, if they do play Bristol in the in the semi final, they have to get by this weekend. But I just think without we don't have time to get into it now. We have talked loads about Connacht, so we're not dismissing them. But their continuation of their seat, their season going strength to strength, and actually even beating Treviso, I laughed about it at the start. That was a big win on Friday night yeah. and they're just absolutely flying and it shouldn't be overlooked at any point like how, how well they're doing but we'll talk more about them next next Tuesday yeah ideally when we're looking forward to Pat Lamb and John Muldoon coming back to sports <laughs> <center>. <laughs> that would be unbelievable <laughs> that, is there an argument that that would be the first ever Challenge Cup semi-final that's probably bigger than the, the, the Heineken Cup semi-final <laughs> yeah. depends if there's Irish interest suppose, in, yeah. Ireland, <laughs> in Ireland yeah, yeah. okay well look that's all the time we have for you uh, busy show um We'll be back with you uh, next Tuesday. On Don't forget, on the podcast feed, we do have the Tree Man Weave, the weekly GEA podcast. Me and Morris are also on that. We, we moonlight as both GEA and rugby people here. We're also Mark Farley. So you can get that on Wednesdays. And there's lots more on the Balls of the podcast feed as well for you to check out. Please rate and subscribe if you like it. It does help us. It really does. It, 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 um, it keeps the show alive. Um, you know, we might, you know, get us a sponsor sometime or something like that you know and uh, you know we'll be giving you light reads for blue apron or uh one of those you know do you have a website that you want to start because i believe squarespace are great but i'm not going to tell you much more about them until they come on and tell us more anyway we'll be back with you next week have a good day